Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, today we're continuing our series looking at the end. Uh, and last week I think we looked at uh, what happens when a believer dies. Uh, this week we're looking at the next stage, which is the, the resurrection uh, and, the, uh, and the judgment. All right? So uh, uh, there is an outline in your order of service. Uh, that might be helpful. Uh, so if you have that there, you can see where we're going. Uh, and also the passages are there, uh, well, the, 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 uh, which you can look up when you go home because we're going to go through them very quickly. So you might want to see when you go home, you might look at the context and all that a bit more carefully. All right, so they're all there. Uh, and uh, uh, let me pray uh, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us by your spirit through your word. Uh, we pray that you help us uh, as we consider uh, the resurrection and the judgment uh, from your word. We pray that uh, you open our eyes that we might understand and see uh, and appreciate uh, and all the more uh, appreciate your son and turn to him and trust in him and live uh, in light of the, 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 the judgment to come. And so we commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a little test. Who here is old enough to remember... John Lennon's song, Imagine. Imagine? Okay, some of you heard it the first time around, yeah? Okay, uh, others will know it from Olympics or something like that, huh? Came up, right? Imagine. Uh, it's got a catchy tune, superficially lofty and idealistic, but actually full of dreadful anti-God lyrics, isn't it? It's terrible. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell beneath us, above us, only sky. So everyone is meant to just live for today. But friends, just take a moment to imagine that there is no heaven, no hell, no judgment, that God doesn't call us to account at the end of our lives for what we've done and how we've lived. Anyone can do what they want, and if they can get away with it now, then they've got away with it. What you do now, good or bad, doesn't count for anything in the end. It's like taking an exam, but never ever getting the results because it will never be marked. Well, that is a world that our secular friends like to think that they live in. Because a world without judgment promises at first to be a world of freedom. Until they actually think hard enough about it to realize that actually it's a world without meaning. Uh, so they have to either make up their own meaning or live with the existential emptiness and despair of a meaningless worldview. But the Bible tells us that actually life has meaning. We are created by God and we will be judged by him at the end. And he will judge with perfect justice and death itself will not prevent that which is in a nutshell what we want to talk about in the sermon today. Now, the idea of resurrection and judgment is, is there actually even in the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel 12, our Old Testament reading, spoke about a resurrection at the end of time. You remember that? Some will rise to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, but it's in the New Testament that actually we see God's plan uh, fleshed out more. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the return of Christ, and we were reminded that the end has already arrived in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus already raised to, from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. All authority is given to him. And now we're just waiting for the end to be completed. 
for Christ to come again. Not as a baby, but as the king. When his kingship will be unveiled, when he returns as king of all, and every knee will bow to him. But it's not just everyone who is alive at the time who will bow the knee to Jesus. It is everyone who has ever lived. For we'll see today that Jesus will raise the dead on his return. And in fact, the Bible teaches us that all the dead will be raised by Jesus. All the dead. Look with me at John chapter 5. John chapter 5, uh, verses 25 to 29. Uh, Jesus says, John chapter 5, verse 24. Well, actually, if we go back to verse 24, we'll, uh, we'll come back to verse 24 a bit later on. Right? Look at verse 25. He says, Truly I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Right? Then he talks about how the Father has granted the authority to have life in himself and Jesus is the one, the Son of Man is the one who is going to execute judgment. And he says in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Both are raised, but for very different purposes. Some for life, some for condemnation. But all are raised. Uh, the Apostle Paul preached the same thing. Uh, in Acts chapter 24, Acts chapter 24, uh, the Apostle Paul is there in the court of King Felix. Uh, he's defending himself from the accusations of his fellow Jews. Uh, and he says in verse 14, But I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the Lord, written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Right? The Bible keeps on teaching that there is a resurrection at the end of the age, which means you cannot escape justice by simply dying. Right? You think Hitler escaped justice by committing suicide? Well, think again. All who are in the tombs will hear the voice of Jesus and come out. There'll be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Now, sometimes people ask me about burial versus cremation when we think about the resurrection. Does it have an impact on what we do? Which one should we do? I say, actually, usually doesn't actually matter, lah. Right? Because if you're buried, you end up decomposing anyway, right? The chaching will eat and you decompose anyway. Right? You cremate it, happens much faster, lah. Right? Right? But you know, God spoke and the whole world came into being. He can bring you back whether you're buried or cremated. Now, if you ask which one speaks more eloquently of the resurrection hope, then I say burial, lah. Right? Burial done well expresses the intention of keeping the body in the ground while awaiting the resurrection. And some cultures use cremation to speak of becoming one with the universe. You scatter the ashes everywhere, and so it's just become one, which is not a Christian concept. But there are many other things to consider other than eloquence. Now, it's very hard, very expensive to find a burial plot in KL nowadays. Uh, and it's far more important, whether someone is buried or cremated, what's more important is what is said. The hope that is expressed at the burial or cremation. You can have a godless burial or a thoroughly God-glorifying, hope-filled cremation that is full of the gospel.
So actually, it doesn't really matter whether you're buried or cremated. What's more important is that the gospel shines forth clearly in the midst of the sorrow of the occasion. But even more important than the kind of funeral we have is whether Jesus is Lord of our life when we live, isn't it? That's actually the important thing. Because in the end, what we do with the body doesn't actually help or hinder the person who died. You don't get to heaven by having a Christian funeral. Right? You're saved if you trust in Christ when you're alive. Uh, if you trust in Christ and your family take away your body and bury it in another way, well, that's sad lah. Because I'm sure you would have wanted to glorify God in your funeral as you did with your life, but it doesn't change the fact that you belong to Jesus. He doesn't need to check which part of the cemetery you're buried in to know if you're his. Right? You belong to Jesus. When you die, you're with Christ. Whatever they do to your body. And he will raise you to be with him when he comes again. Which brings us to the next point. While we are told of both the resurrection of believers and unbelievers, the Bible's emphasis is on the resurrection of believers. Have a look how this is described uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul's writing to these uh, Thessalonians who are um, a little bit worried uh, when their fellow believers die because they're not used to people dying, right? Uh, they think maybe, what if Jesus hasn't come back again and then these people die already? Then are they going to miss out? And he says, no, 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 they're not going to miss out. Not going to miss out, right? Don't, don't grieve as if you have no hope. You still grieve, but there, there is hope. They're not going to miss out. Why do not miss out? It says, verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Right? So those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, are with Christ. Implication there, right? because God will bring them with him. Does that make sense? Right? He'll bring them with him. Uh, uh, we saw last week already, right? to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Being with Christ is better by far than being here. Uh, but he will bring them back. He says in verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Right? You don't get a special advantage by being still alive when Jesus comes back. No, no, no. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. They're talking about the second coming here. With a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. By the trumpet of God, Symbolic, isn't it? It's picture language in the Old Testament for the day of judgment, the day of the end, the day of the Lord. Right? The trumpet sounds. The day when Christ comes. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Right? That is, first before, the, uh, before the, the believers who are already alive uh, meet with the Lord. Then, he says in verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Right? Clouds symbolizing God's presence with his people. Sometimes people take the rapture from here, but this is happening at the resurrection, not seven years beforehand. Right? Um, to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will always be with the Lord. Right? The picture is God's presence. Clouds symbolize God. You know, in the Old Testament, God's presence filled the temple, cloud filled the temple. Right? Um, here we see God's presence. And so resurrection means that we are reunited with our bodies. But whether we are dead or alive, in our bodies or out of our bodies, we will always be with the Lord. 
Right? There's the promise, and there's the encouragement. Well, you want to know more about these resurrection bodies? A uh, little bit more. Lah, huh? 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 to 58. Tells us a little bit more about that. 1 Corinthians 15, from verse 35. Right? Um, and in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about there's both a continuity and discontinuity from our present bodies. Right? Uh, verse 35 to uh, verse 37 talks about it's a bit like the you put a seed in the ground, it's one kind of thing, right? The plant that comes up is different, isn't it? But it's still the same, still continuous. Okay? It's like a seed, and they're connected, but different. Right, so it is with the resurrection. What is sown? Verse 42. Verse 42. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Right? The body that gets buried is already broken down, died. The resurrection body won't do that. The body we bury is sown in dishonor. Right? A rotting corpse is not a splendid thing, but it's raised in glory. The body that's sown is a natural body. In verse 44, it is raised a spiritual body. Spiritual doesn't mean not physical. It means supernatural, transformed, glorified. Which kind of like makes sense in what of what we know about Jesus' body. Remember when Jesus was raised, his tomb is empty, the body's not there, there's continuity, but there's also transformation. Seems like he can make himself recognizable or not recognizable. Um, maybe he can change form. I don't know how it works. Uh, seems he can materialize behind locked doors. He's still physical. He can cook fish, eat breakfast with his disciples. There's a difference lah, between the resurrection body and the sown body for the believers, but it's continuous. We get bodies now like the fallen Adam. After the resurrection, we have bodies like the resurrected Christ. Still human, truly human but transformed human. Verse 49 says, all the way down to verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Uh, Many of you know Don Carson. Uh, I think, in my opinion, he's one of the uh, best Bible scholars of our time. Uh, A number of years ago, I wrote to him uh, to inform him about the death of one of the church leaders in Malaysia. And he wrote back and he said, that's nothing that a good resurrection won't fix. Right? Uh, and he made the same comment uh, when he shared about his own severe illness uh, that prevented him from coming to Malaysia uh, for KBBC last year. Uh, but that's a Christian hope, isn't it? There's nothing that a good resurrection won't fix. Right? Jesus will raise the dead on his return. Right? That's the first big point for today. And the second big point is that this resurrection is followed by the final judgment. Because as you, as you look around the world, you notice very clearly that there is a distinct lack of justice. Right? We all know that. People try, la. you've got to try. Right? But there's a lot of injustice. So many people suffer because of others who will never be called to account um, in this life. But the Bible tells us that God is just. And he will bring perfect justice in the end. Uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, we, we see a picture of this. Come with me to Revelation chapter 20. 
Revelation chapter 20. Uh, and here we see this great white throne in verse 11. Him who is seated on it, God. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. There's no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Now, it's a universal judgment. Great, small, no. You, know, you, know, you can't withdraw the charges or you know, play not independent or anything. No. The dead, great and small are there. The books are open. Well, the books are open. It's an objective judgment. Right? The dead are judged by what is written in the books. And another book is open. The book of life, we'll come back to that in a tick. But notice the basis for the judgment. The dead are judged by what is written in the books according to what they have done. It's an objective judgment. According to what they've done. Uh, if you keep on going down to the back, it says, See, gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead in them. They will judge each one of them according to what they have done. Uh, God's judgment is very fair. Very fair. No one will ever be able to say to God on the day of judgment, oh, you haven't treated me right. right. God will judge people not according to what they haven't done, not according to what they don't know. They'll be judged according to what they have done. That's what it says. But that doesn't give us cause for optimism, isn't it? Because if we are judged according to our works, then each and every one of us would be condemned because each and every one of us, without exception, is sinful. And the things that we do and think and say, they betray our sinful hearts. Especially when we think no one's watching. Now, that doesn't mean everyone gets the same punishment. Right? God knows how to titrate his wrath uh, accordingly. Uh, Jesus talks about how in some cities it's worse for you, it's worse for you on the day of judgment. Right? There's a difference. But God's judgment in the end leads to condemnation. And that happens to everyone except one category of person. Look in verse 14 and 15 again. It says, Death and Hades are thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Right, so how do you escape this judgment, this condemnation that comes from being judged according to our works? It's by getting a name in the book of life. But who's that? Who is in this book of life? Well, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter is preaching the gospel for the first time to non-Jews. Okay, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 40 to 43. Uh, he's talking to Cornelius and his family here. Uh, and he says this in verse 42. He says... Um, talking about the risen Jesus, and he, that's Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Right? God is a judge, but Jesus is the one through whom the judgment comes. Then it says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Ah, who is the judge on the last day? The risen Jesus. How do you escape the punishment that comes at the end? Well, you need the forgiveness of sins. And those who believe in him receive that forgiveness. Because, you see, 
just as the resurrection at the end is anticipated by the resurrection of Christ, the judgment at the end was anticipated by the cross of Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because at the cross, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment came early. That came to Jesus. And Jesus bore the just punishment for our sins in his body for us. So that God can forgive us and doesn't need to punish us at the end. Because if we trust in Jesus, we're united with him spiritually, isn't it? By faith. Uh, and so we are considered together. Our sins become his sins, his righteousness become our righteousness. And at the cross, he, he bore the penalty of our sins, paid them for us. So there's nothing left to pay. In him, we are forgiven. In him, we escape the judgment and condemnation that we deserve. Not because it doesn't have to happen. It does. But because it happened already at the cross. So friends, will believers be judged? Well, on the one hand, you've got to say no because the judgment already happened. Right? Jesus himself says in John 5.24, remember we skipped off verse 24 just now, come back to it. He says, I tell you truly, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's very clear, isn't it? But then there are other parts of the Bible which seem to say something different. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, uh, verse 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And that passage is actually, in the context, is talking about how Christians long to be with the Lord. Or in Romans 14, Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now in the context, oh, that's, that's, that's very clear too. In the context, Paul is making the point that, that it's not our place to judge each other because each, each of us will give an account to God. And that's right, that just because we are forgiven mean, doesn't mean there's no judgment. We're accountable for what we do. Of course, we shouldn't be judging each other because we don't know each other's hearts. There's many things we don't know, many ways we're going to get it wrong. But we can rest assured, based on Romans 14, that each one of us will give an account. So that's why I don't have to worry, lah. Don't answer me, answer to God. Each will stand before the judgment throne of God. So how? You've got some passages that say, won't be judged. Other passages say, will be judged. Are we judged or not? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 helps us to understand this. All right? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about the work that different gospel workers do. Uh, he says we all build on the foundation of Christ. But he says in verse 12, you can build on that foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. 
And each person's work will become manifest on the day, for the day will disclose it. Right? The day is the day of judgment. And so, verse 14, he says, Fire will test the sort of work it's done. And he says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, there is a judgment concerning the things that we have done for Christ. So that Christ can reward us, or otherwise, as his servants for our labor for him. It's not about salvation, right? Someone's work is burned up. He's still saved, because we're saved by faith in Christ, not by what we do. So in that sense, we don't come under judgment. A kind of judgment for condemnation, right? For believers, that's, that's not there. God's wrath against our sin has already been taken. But this is a different judgment. This is a judgment for commendation, not condemnation. And we don't want to be those who don't have anything to show on that day because nothing we've done actually survives the test. We want to be people who not only come before Christ on the last day, forgiven of our sins, we also want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a judgment for believers. So as we conclude, let me remind you what the big points are to take home. The risen Jesus will come back at the end of the age, and when he comes, he will raise the dead, and it's time for the final judgment. God's judgment will be just, based on what we have done, Though on that basis we would all be condemned. But we escape that condemnation by trusting in Jesus because he took that judgment beforehand so we can be forgiven. So what's the main implications of all this? Well, if you're not a believer, then the most important thing you can do today is come to Christ and believe in him. Can I urge you to do that? Because you don't have to face God's punishment. In Christ there is forgiveness, full and free. Don't let anyone or anything hold you back. Jesus says, what does it profit a world? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What's the, what's the point? You please repent of your sins and turn to Jesus before it's too late. If you need any help with that, ask someone around you. Maybe the person who invited you here today. Or you know, put in a connect card. Ask one of the leaders. Or ask one of the pastors. Whatever. Talk to us. I'd love to help you point you to Jesus or you just trust in Jesus and let us know that you've done that if you're a believer then first and foremost be thankful for the forgiveness that you have you've already been given that isn't that a wonderful thing but don't waste your life right? there's still an accounting a judgment of a different sort Live your life now not to accumulate stuff, not to get people to like you, not to leave a legacy that won't outlast you by very much anyway, but to serve your master. Don't fall into the world's trap of thinking that life is about getting the best job or the most toys or the most likes on social media. It's not what you're judged on. If you make your life about the pursuit of these things, then it's like taking a chemistry exam and expecting to be marked on how beautifully you draw the pipette and the beaker. Right? 
Now, you need to draw the beaker. Lah. Nothing wrong with that. But if you spend all your time and effort in the exam on drawing the most beautiful beaker in the world, then you've missed the point of the chemistry exam. And it's likely that you will fail. Life is about loving God and loving others. Life is about serving God and making His glory known. Life is about the kingdom. It's about seeing the gospel go out into all the world so that people can be forgiven before that judgment day. And in all the decisions that you and I make, we need to just keep on remembering that one day we will answer to Jesus why we chose this. We give an account on that last day. All of us will. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the master will condemn, will commend you at the end. And finally, those who believe, let's look forward to our resurrection bodies. We don't know exactly what they'll be like, but we know enough to be excited, isn't it? Especially as our bodies get sick and disabled, as they waste away, all the more we look forward to the new ones, ones that are transformed in the image of Christ, in which our tendency to sin and all the effects of sin will be gone. We put on immortality. So as we suffer in our bodies today, and even as we face death tomorrow, we can be assured of the future. And whatever we face, it's nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Christ has died for our sins, that he is our risen king, and that he will indeed come again to raise the dead and judge the world. Help us, we pray, to be ready for him when he comes. We pray that you'll help each one of us to live our lives now in light of the coming resurrection and judgment. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.